Like I said, tonight we are starting a brand new series called Jesus. There is no other name that is greater than the name of Jesus. If you ever wanted to know what's the most precious thing that you hold in your life, and it is the love of God, but it is the name of Jesus. And you're going to, over the next few weeks, you're going to understand why, the, why Jesus is so pivotal to who we are. And I'm going to show you some amazing things tonight. Let me, let me also say this, that those that say that there are other ways to the Lord but by Jesus, don't argue with them, okay? Don't, don't argue with them. You, they need to experience Him, amen? You don't have to tell me. When I go to a marble slab, I like to get um, birthday cake with strawberries, and I get the kids cone because I think I'm, you know, keeping my girlish figure, and I do the kids cone in a waffle cone. So I do birthday cake with strawberries in a waffle cone. There is no way that you can convince me that that ain't good. So we ought to have that same attitude about Jesus. If you just taste and see that He is good, nobody will be able to change your mind. So let's start in tonight. And does anybody need handouts? Does everybody have a handout and a pen to follow along? All right, let's go to our first villain. Jesus made a way for me. That's why it's so important that Jesus is the center point of everything that we are as believers because he made a way. And Romans 8.29 says this. It says, For those he foreknew, of whom he was aware of, loved beforehand, he also destined from the beginning, and watch what I've highlighted right here, to be molded into the image of his son. That what is your purpose in life? Your purpose in life is not just to try to figure life out. Your purpose in life is to be molded into the image of your son. Are you ready for this? If you're taking notes down to the bottom where I barely left you any space, you can write this. I am destined to be like him. I'm destined to be like Jesus. That's a good destiny, amen? That's a good final play. I am destined to be like Jesus and share inwardly in his likeness and that Jesus might become the firstborn among many brothers or many brethren. So here's the, this is just kind of fancy language, but who has an older brother or an older sister? Raise your hand if you've got, okay. So this is it. This is the, the, the what do you call it? Um, the meat and potatoes of tonight, that you were born, your next feeling, you were born into a family and your big brother is Jesus. That even if you're the oldest in your family, like I don't have a big brother, you do now. Your big brother in life is Jesus. And this is gonna be pivotal for us. So go to your next feeling. Jesus completely made a way that your father would never disown you. So what's the importance about Jesus is that Jesus became our first, our big brother, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He became so, in, because he became the firstborn, he made a way that we would never be disowned by God. That's why God said, I'll never leave you and never forsake you. Then your next feeling, Jesus did all the dying so you could do all the living. That this life wasn't meant, even though there's ups and downs, easy places, hard places, that you are always meant to live in that John 10, 10 life, to have abundance in the full to, till it overflows, that Jesus did all of our dying in order that we would do all of the living. The world, and here's what, we're, what we deal with, this world is under an orphan spirit that is looking for a father. So you can think about, if you think about 
Maybe there's people in your family that are not born again. Maybe you have friends at school that are not born again. Maybe you go to a campus that there's a lot of people that don't know the Lord. And they may seem on the outside to have it together and not need anything. But every single one of us was born with an orphan spirit. Now, how did that come? That came by Adam and Eve being disobedient to the Lord. And I'm going to get there in a second. But it came, all of us have an orphan spirit that we're dealing with. But watch what happens right here. That we too often are trying to be better orphans instead of, or other than being sons and daughters. Your your destiny in life is not to try to be the best orphan that you can. And that's what a lot of people do. They're trying to please God. They're trying to win his favor. They're trying to do right in his eyes. They're trying to gain his acceptance. You are already accepted. If Jesus is your older brother, you are loved. And that's one of our our declarations on the back, that God loves me just as much as he loves Jesus. You don't have to be an orphan. You can clearly be a son or a daughter. Now, this is one of my favorite illustrations. I want you tonight to, when you go home, most of you are going home to mom and dad. One of, both of them are one or the other. I want you to ring the doorbell. Don't go in. I just want you to ring the doorbell. And when your mom comes to the door, I want you to ask her in, in really, really sad, pathetic voice, which, you know, some of that, that's not going to be hard for you to do. All right, Colton, that probably won't be hard for you to do. Pathetic. I'm just kidding. So <laughs> your mom's here, so this is not going to be a surprise. So when you go home and then you ask them very pathetic, can I come in? They're like, can, can I sleep in that bedroom that, that you let me sleep in? Can I, can, I, can I eat some of your food? Can I, can I have some of your air conditioning? Can I watch your TV? First of all, you're going to creep them out. And if your mom is like my mom, pues que estas haciendo? get in this house. <gasps> what are you, crazy? <laughs> Because your parents would think you were off kilter if all of a sudden you're asking if you can be a part of what you know is already a right of being part of the family, that we're too often trying to be better orphans. And God's saying, I don't want you to be a better orphan. I want you to be a son, and I want you to be a daughter in everything that Jesus provided for you. That's the big deal about Jesus, that he made a way for us that we were designed. Do you want to know what you were designed for? Fill this in. You were designed for fellowship and relationship with God as Father. His original intent, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, or maybe it's 2, that he made Adam and Eve for his pleasure. He made two people that he could interact with. Here's the cool thing about God, is that he, these were the only living beings that he created that had a free will. They could choose to love him back. And he didn't require it. Obviously, they kind of messed it up. But he gave them a choice to love them back. All he wanted from Adam and Eve was to take care of them as a father. Now, sin is always the thing that separates us. And I don't have time to go into the redemption of, from sin. But sin is always the thing that separates us from the fact that he wants us as fellowship and relationship with him as father. That's a cool thing, Amen. Let's go to your next fill-in, or actually next scripture, Matthew 27, 50. And Jesus cried again with a loud voice. This is Jesus on the cross and gave up his spirit. Go to 51. 
Watch what he says right here. And at once the curtain of the sanctuary. Now, this was off location. Jesus is in Golgotha. A ways away from him was the temple, and the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn into from the top to the bottom. Now, we're talking about a, a curtain in the temple that was about a foot thick in thickness, a woven fabric curtain. Now, what happened was that on the other side of this curtain was the presence of God. And only the priest could go into the presence of God once a year after he had made sure that he was completely forgiven of all sin and went in as holy as he could by the blood of the lambs or bull and goats or whatever, and he could go in one time. So when Jesus dies, what happens to that curtain? It separates from top to bottom. It is symbolic of the fact that there was never more, because of what Jesus did, there was never more any separation between God's presence and you. I'm going somewhere. Let's look at your neighbor and say, he's going somewhere with this. What happened? Your next feeling. Jesus forever removed the separation that once existed between God and his children. When he died on that cross, with the anticipation of being raised from the dead three days later, and that temple and that uh, curtain in the temple being torn from top to bottom was symbolic that Jesus removed, the completely removed, the separation that would ever exist between you and God. Orphans, your next villain, orphans follow religion, children follow his heart. So if we're talking, have you ever known somebody that's like, man, I'm really, really trying to serve God. I'm really, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. And I'm just not doing it because they're trying to all the mechanics of belief, the mechanics of religion, the mechanics of what guy, men come up with. And they ever, never quite get to God by their works. And you never were meant to get to God by your works. You were meant to get to God through the salvation that Jesus created. And orphans focus on a religion. Sons and daughters focus on his heart. Jonathan, what are you saying? I'm saying that God wants you, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit. God wants you to know his heart. But you don't know what I've done wrong. That's not the point. Was anybody there when Jesus died? Okay, I think I'm talking to the right people then. The curtain was split before you ever sinned. All you had to do was accept the salvation that Jesus created. And when you accepted that, you had free access beyond that curtain into his presence. That was it. Let's keep going. Uh, um, what was the next one? I'm sorry, I lost my place. When This is awesome. When the time came for God to forever remove separation between, between him and his children, what did he send? He sent a son. He could have sent angels. He could have sent legions of angels. He could have sent anything, a created being. He could have sent anything. But isn't it interesting that when God came for that time, that time, the right time for him to forever make the separation between us and him permanently removed, he sends a son. John 14, 18 says this, I will not leave you as orphans comfortless, desolate, bereaved, forlorn, helpless, I will come back to you. That this, we can take the opposite of this, the antithesis of this, that I will make you sons and daughters, comfortful, I'm making up words now, 
I don't know what the opposite of desolate is. Maybe you can bring it up on your thesaurus. Bereaved, happy instead, helpful, full of help on this good stuff. Amen. When Jesus was crucified, this is interesting to note right here. When Jesus was crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem, he became an orphan so that you would never be one. What happened was in that day, those that were without family. Now, in those days, when, when you weren't part of a family, and especially when you were an orphan or something along those lines or, or um, what do you call it, diseased or anything that was outside the cultural norm, they put you out of the city. So if you had leprosy, or if you were um, sinful in their eyes, or if you were an orphan, you weren't part of the everyday culture that went on in the city. And so when Jesus was crucified, he was taken outside the city gates and treated as an outcast, treated as an orphan, treated as somebody that had disease. And so by Jesus being take, taken outside the, the city, city gates of Jerusalem was, was propitiation. I hope you don't freak you out by that. That propitiation that you would never be an orphan again. Matthew 27, 46 says this. And in the ninth hour, Three o'clock, Jesus on a cross cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is my God, my God, why have you abandoned me, leaving me helpless, forsaking and failing me in my need? Now, a lot of people would think that, well, that's horrible that God rejected Jesus on the cross so much so that Jesus cries out, my God, my God, my father, my dad, my dad, why have you forsaken me? You ready for this? God forsook Jesus as his son, so that he would never forsake you. It's, it's called, and um, I don't mean to get into some, kind of some crazy, but it is that propitiation. It is that new identity. It's that, it's that, that thing where, where you take on all the benefits of what Jesus did. And when Jesus was forsaken and abandoned and rejected, by his father, he paid the full penalty. I'm spitting everywhere. You know you're preaching good when you're spitting. He paid the full penalty of sin so that the weight of sin and rejection and abandonment and uh, separation from God would never come on you. Isn't he awesome? Number two, Jesus knows what it's like to be me. Now, have you ever had... Um, something tough that you went through. And I'll say this, in 1999, my, our dad passed away. Sheila, my dad, our dad passed away. And it was one of those situations where we had to uh, turn off the life support on him. And so that was a hard thing to do. You know, we had to sign papers. We had to decide as a family that's what we wanted to do. And so it was very difficult that, you know, you, you, they turn off the machines. And the mercy of God, my dad just slipped away. I think he was already gone in my own personal opinion. But it's cool to know that any time that I've come since 1999, come met up with somebody else that was facing that same situation, I could say, I know what you went through. I know what that was like. I know how gut-wrenching that was. Well, here's the cool part of Jesus is that he says to every single one of us that he knows what it's like to be you. That everything, and I'm jumping ahead, but everything, let's look at Hebrews first before I say that because I'll 
skip a fill-in. Since therefore, Hebrews 2.14, that these children share in flesh and blood and physical nature of human beings, Jesus himself in similar manner partook of the same nature. So is anybody human in here? Okay, if you're not certain about your neighbor, just raise their hand for them. Hopefully their alien voice will not come in. Let my hand down. Okay, so everybody in here is a human. So what this is saying right here in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews said that Jesus partook of the same nature, meaning that he became a human too. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like, okay, so anyway, so he became that by going through death, he might bring to naught and make of no effect him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So this is just kind of a real powerful scripture right here. So go to verse 17 in the uh, same chapter. So it is evident that is was essential that he was made like his brothers and in every respect, in order that he might become a merciful and a sympathetic and a faithful high priest in the things related to God to make atonement. And there's that word I just said a minute ago, propitiation. Here's what happened. God saw his creation of humanity. And he just didn't, like I said, he just didn't send an angelic or another created being. He sent somebody of the like Kind. He sent Jesus as a human. Why did Jesus, why couldn't Jesus just come as God? He came as a human because we because when he came, he knew everything that we would go through and he would become like like that same person that says, you know what, we have we have to decide to pull the pull the plug on life support on our on our relative. I can say I know what that's like. And so when we're standing in this Christian walk and, and we're going through what we go through, we have a high priest in verse 14. We have a high priest, Jesus, who says, I know what it's like to be you. And not just that I know what it's like to be you, but I know what you go through. I am merciful, sympathetic, and faithful to everything. Here, let me break it down full. Let me bring it full circle, full stop. Every Thing you have ever and are or are going to face, Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly. And I wish I had time to show you all the, all the ways. Your next feeling, Jesus has already gone through every, and I'm gonna share a couple of with you in a second. He's already gone through everything I will face now let's go to Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathize and have shared feelings with our weakness and infirmity and liability, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sinning. That Jesus, and, and don't try to, well, did he ever get tempted with drugs? Did, uh, did he ever get, let's not go through what we think he got tempted with. I promise you when we reach eternity and the, and the stage is set and we see everything that was happening, we will know without a shadow of a doubt that he faced every single circumstance that was like what we would face. And that's why he becomes a faithful high priest because he has a shared understanding. Let me take it a step further because in our reasoning, we might think, well, did he face, um, did his girlfriend ever break up with him? Let's not get specific. Let's go to this length. 
Are you ready for this? Whatever you're facing, bring it to him. By bringing it to him, let him minister. You ready? Let him minister how he got through it. You're like, well, how is he going to do that, Jonathan? That's why you have a quiet time. That's why you spend time with him. That's why your, your, your inward hearing of your heart is open to him. Here's the deal. A lot of people that blame that God does not listen to them don't take the time to speak to him. So if we don't take the time to speak to him and make ourselves available to listen to him, then we cannot accuse him of being silent. Let me flip over here. Verse 16. Look at this. So then let us fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace. And the Amplified says this, the throne of his unmerited favor, that we might receive mercy for our failures, help in good time, everything that we need, appropriate help, well time coming just when we need it. I, triple, quadruple, septuple dog, dare you to come boldly before his throne of grace and present before Jesus, this is what I'm dealing with. Will you help me? I can promise you, he will not turn away from you. If we are faithful to bring to him everything that we deal with, that's, and I'll speak for me, that's where I miss it. I don't bring him to him everything that I'm facing. I try to figure it out myself first. I try to work through it myself first. Am I, am I, am I only talking about me? Don't raise your hand. I try, to, I try to say, well, if I did this, then this will happen. Or if I say this to that person with, with my neck rolling and then my Z formation snap, and I tell them just how I feel about that, then I'll be on, I'll be on the head of this argument. That's, you probably can do that to somebody, but that doesn't set you ahead. What sets us ahead is when we bring before him every single situation that we're facing and we say, I know you know what to do. The devil wants to make you think that you're the worst sinner. If he can make you think that you're not acceptable in, in his sight, then he can keep you away from the throne of grace. There's the obstacle. There's the barrier. There's the detour. When we think that we are not welcomed into his presence, and, and can I tell you this? I mean, and when you have just messed up royally, I'm talking about you have just made a mess of whatever you might be going through. I promise you two things. One is that the enemy will beat you over the head with that. And the second thing I can promise you is that Jesus knows what you've gone through and wants to help you through it. We don't think about the second one. We always experience the first one. I mean, the devil's beating the daylights out of us with what we did wrong. Jesus was all human and he was all God. Why is that, that, um, why is that necessary? 
because we already said he came as one of us. He experienced everything that we would face and experiencing everything that we would face He understands everything that we will go through. The word of God said, yet without sinning. So he knows how to help us in every single situation. Isn't he awesome? Jesus knows. I I like to think about Jesus walking this earth. I, I have a cool picture of him anyway. I've got a picture in my house that has him walking on the water. It's a painting of some type, and it's just really, really cool. I like them. But I think about Jesus as, as, a, as a man. Now, you have to understand that for, from, from birth to 30, he, just, he was a carpenter. He just was an everyday guy. And, you know, carpenters, they, they didn't have power equipment and, and uh, what do you call it, nail guns and, and forklifts and all that other kind. I mean, they had to be brawn. They had to be tough. So imagine Jesus going to work before he, you know, before age 30. He's going to work at um, whatever Joseph and son carpentry work. I don't know what the name of it was. And so, I mean, he's, I mean, he's got to put things in with whatever tools they had and saw with whatever tools they had. I mean, he's a carpenter. He's making wood stuff. I mean, he's probably got some biceps on him. And of course, Jesus had the long hair. So imagine him. He's got a, you know, t-shirt on. It says Joseph and sons uh, carpentry work. Uh, give us a call, you know, 817 Jerusalem or whatever. I mean, I don't know what it was, Bethlehem. And, and he's got, you know, he's got to roll it because he's got arms. I mean, he's, I mean, he's built like an ox and he's got a tool belt on. He's got, his, he's got long hair, so it's hot outside. So he's got it in a man bun and, and he's just like, <laughs> okay, just forgive me for my own. But he was all us. How cool. Now, does that help you a little bit to realize that that's the one you're coming before? You're not coming before like the Wizard of Oz smoke and fire and who what do you want and all this other junk we think but you're coming before a man who walked this planet as a carpenter in a t-shirt and a skirt and a man bun what's the verdict on a man bun by the way anyway up down i don't know last thing is this taylor come on down number three is that Jesus faced everything I would face as a human. There was nothing, nothing that I'll face that he hadn't gone through already. Isaiah 53 says this, and I told you that I'd give you just, just a sampling. This is not exhaustive, but it's pretty, pretty cool and it's pretty weighty when it's talking about Jesus. Jesus this is an, a prophet named Isaiah that prophesied Jesus. And he said, Jesus was despised, rejected, forsaken. Jesus was a man of sorrow and pain. Jesus experienced grief and sickness like one whom, it, whom men would hide their faces and despise, and he did not appreciate their worth. Let me, let me say this really quickly, that if there wasn't something that Jesus personally faced, can I tell you this? Because you might be thinking, well, he, never, he probably never experienced this, or maybe he didn't experience this. And I let, me, let, me make the, let me just wrap it up in a really, really cool package for you, that if he personally didn't experience it, He bore it on the cross. 
that even if he didn't personally go through everything that all of humanity, he did take on the weight of that, all of that on the cross. So even though when it says sickness, Jesus might not have ever had cancer as a human, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that he took on every form of cancer when he was nailed to a cross. Every form of depression, every form of emotional insecurity, every form of rejection, every form of despair, every form of hopelessness, every form of people not knowing what to do and uncertainty that he bore on himself, all of it, so you wouldn't have to. Verse five says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquity. The chastisement for us to live in peace was upon him. And by the stripes that wounded him, we are healed. Jesus went through, if you're feeling this last part, Jesus went through. And this is just, like I said, just a sampling of what you might be going through. He was rejected by friends. In his darkest hour, his closest of friends rejected him. Have you ever been rejected by somebody? He was rejected too. He was lied about by his friends. Peter said, I don't know him. Have you ever had a friend or a relative or somebody close to you lie about you? He knows what that's like. He was lied about. He was bit, beaten physically. If you follow scripture, he, he was probably beaten by three garrisons of guard. He was beaten by the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin. He was beaten Herod's uh, court and he was beaten by Pilate's guards. He knows what it's like to have physical pain. He was mocked for who he was. When he was on the cross, they put a, the, uh, they, they said, if you are the son of God, why don't you come on down from there? He was mocked. Have you been mocked for what you believed or who you were? Have you ever been mocked that, that, that even, he even faced racial ridicule? That it said above the cross, it said, King of the Jews. He knew what it was like to be racially discriminated against. That his uh, feet were nailed and his hands were nailed to a cross. He, he, he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for it. He was pierced in his side. He had a Roman soldier pierce his side. And the word of God says, from, and blood and water flowed out. This is interesting on this last one because I didn't know this until recently because we all know Joseph was his father, his earthly father, even though he wasn't his biological father or his heavenly father, Joseph was his earthly father, that most theologians, most historians believe that Joseph, Joseph died. Because if you look at when Jesus died on the cross, there is no record of Joseph, only Mary. And if you remember the story, he looks down at John and he says, John, behold your mother. And basically he was saying to John, the, the apostle, he's saying, John, take care of my mother from here on out. So Mary would have been a widow. Most historians believe that Joseph, his earthly father, died in the third year of Jesus' ministry. 
So if you, if you look, I don't have time to show you it, but if you go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called synoptic gospels, they, they parallel each other, Matthew, Mark, Luke, that it references Mary. John, the fourth gospel, which is not synoptic, it follows a different trail than the first three. John wrote the gospel of John later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So he knew historically what had happened later on in history and Joseph is mentioned in John and most historians can, can give a good educated guess that in the third year of Jesus' ministry, about 33, that Joseph dies. Now this is in his ministry. This is a blind healer, a lame healer that they walk, demon caster outer, a dead raiser. That why didn't he raise his father from the dead? And I believe, and this is just, this is not Bible, this is Jonathan, one, chapter one, verse one, that he experienced the death of his father so he could know what it was like to lose someone close to you. So he could say without a doubt, shadow of a doubt, I know what it's like to lose somebody that you treasure. Here's the last thing that Jesus did that should minister to all of us. That's the last thing that he did, he was rejected by God. And why was he rejected by God? He was rejected by God so you would never be rejected by God ever. He took on himself the full rejection and wrath of his father. With every head bow, every eye closed. Is there anyone in here tonight that you need to invite Jesus into your life? I'm gonna ask you to just raise your hand in just a moment. You're not gonna have to come down here. You're not, I'm not gonna point you out. I want to pray with you right where you're at. So if this is you, no one is looking around right now at this moment except me, and you're saying, Jonathan, I wanna receive Jesus, would you raise your hand where I can see it, and then you can put it, thank you. Anybody else saying, I wanna receive Jesus, into my life. So here's, I've got another question. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? I want to receive Jesus into my life. Thank you. If your hand is up, you can put it right back down. Thank you. So the next question is this, and you can raise your hand as well. Jonathan, my heart is away from Jesus. And I need that prayer as well. If that's you with no one looking around, would you raise your hand? and then you can put it right just where I can see it. I just wanna know who I'm praying for. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Who else? Saying, Jonathan, could I, could I get that prayer? Amen. Many hands went up for both of those, so I want us all to pray this together. Just say it out loud with me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. Thank you that you took on you everything that separated me from you. In Jesus' mighty name.